So this morning, we're going to jump into a new series to kind of focus our time during Lent. It's these six weeks leading up to Easter. It starts with Ash Wednesday uh, for a time of reflection and repentance. And then we see it as an intentional time of preparation to the Easter celebration, the high holiest of days for us uh, as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so we're kind of going to take a theme here and set it up this morning, and then we'll dive in more kind of each week in the next couple of weeks uh, to come. But to kind of frame um, our conversation this morning, I'm going to read for us our passage of Scripture, which comes from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you hear that? As God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of those passages that has those little nuggets that are familiar to us, like maybe one line or that song, like he became sin, who knew no sin, we might become, yeah. But when you read it all together, it's, it gives me pause. I'll be honest, it hit me just now in a different way. We are his ambassadors. Okay, you know that. You knew that. That's a familiar part. But did you hear that second part? As though God were making his appeal to the world for reconciliation through us. God has given us the message of reconciliation. Now, I want you to remember 2 Corinthians here. I mentioned this several weeks ago. We think that this is like about the fourth letter that Paul sent the Corinthian church, kind of 2 Corinthians 1 through 9, uh, scholars believe, is is the fourth letter. And this was in a time where Paul uh, felt like there had been a rift between Paul and the community. He felt like the last time he was there, he had been slighted. He had been disrespected. The community didn't stand up for him. And instead of returning like he had promised, he didn't go back. And he instead wrote this like scathing letter. That was the third letter. The scathing letter sort of like rebuking them and saying, this is how I feel wronged. So this is the first time that he has sort of written to them again. And he does so in a spirit of reconciliation. He does so in order to restore what was lost with this community and to kind of implore them again to to join him in the mission work that they all feel called to. 
So he talks about reconciliation a lot here. It's really, really important to Paul. And he grounds it all in the work of Jesus Christ. He grounds all of it in the work of Jesus Christ. He became sin who knew no sin. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what do we mean when we say reconciliation? Oh, look, there that is. See? The the frank speech letter that he refers to later in this letter as well. What do we mean? Reconciliation. That is the work of God to put things back into right order, to restore balance, to bring together those things that had once been separated. The language in the letter to Ephesians said, God, those, those things that were once far off, God has brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those things that were once separated, Christ brings back together. Those things that were separated by sin and death, not just from God, but from people, the work of reconciliation is to redeem them, to restore them, to bring them back together. God is at work, we say, reconciling all things back to God, all of creation. So this is really just another way that we've been talking about that vision of the coming kingdom. For several weeks, this has kind of been a theme. That vision of that future coming kingdom where there's going to be no more violence or sadness or tears or suffering. And this kingdom breaks in wherever God is at work reconciling all things back to him and creating that more just world. We can see that inbreaking kingdom. If we have eyes to see it, we can see God at work reconciling all things. So we saw this happening in the Dominican Republic. We, we witnessed it with our own eyes this past week. Redeeming people, renewing communities, restoring creation. Those are some of their values. Through everything they do intentionally, they see that they are participating in this ministry of reconciliation with God. And friends, it's happening here. It's happening in the States, it's happening in our church, it's happening in other release ministries that we're a part of. We are witnessing God at work, and we are participating in that, joining God in the revolution of transforming lives through teaching and service, teaching and serving. I change it every time, don't I? Yeah. Every time we see that transformation of God, that kingdom is in breaking when we see that redemption, that renewal, that restoration. The work began in Jesus. But now, as his ambassadors, as his representatives, as his hands and feet, we are called to continue that work. And I'm going to be honest, until a, several months ago in a study with Steve Smith, who said to me, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I hadn't it's like a different way to think about the same thing, right? When we think about reconciliation, we think about it between us and God. Okay, we got that. In Christ, we're redeemed, we're brought back. But what does it mean now that, and we know this, Jesus, the Great Commission, Jesus now calls you to go and to make disciples. But friends, it is the ministry of reconciliation back to God. 
This is not just to experience that healing and wholeness and peace for ourselves, like it's all about me and and this sort of vertical, but it's a, a peace and wholeness and healing for and with one another. It's just another way to say we love God and love others. Be reconciled to God, be reconciled to one another. I had a pastor friend who I heard say recently, a church planner friend of mine in in D.C., she says, the way we will know that we have been reconciled to God is when we are reconciled to one another. Sort of this assumption is that if I'm good with God, then I'm good. (laughs) I'm good with all y'all. I'm good with everything else going on. It's, It's just me and God. We got this. But that's not how our faith works. That's not the ministry that we have been called to. This individual, private, healing, wholeness, basking in the glow of the glory for ourselves only. No, you are called to to go and to share it, to extend that same ministry of reconciliation to others, to practice that with one another. The truth is, and you all know this, I'm not saying anything you don't already know. the The truth is, we all cause harm sometimes. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a a result of sort of a a calculated attempt to gain something. Maybe it's self-serving and we cause other people harm. Or maybe it's from a place of anger or spite we can cause another person harm. Maybe it's just out of carelessness or or ignorance or you didn't mean it, but it, it happened. Maybe we cause harm out of a reaction to fear Or because we were overwhelmed and and we just dropped the ball sometimes. That's the season of life I feel like I'm in right now. (laughs) It wasn't intentional. Matt had a principle that used to say, charge it to the head, not the heart. (laughs) I didn't mean it. I'm overwhelmed. I dropped some balls. But you still caused harm. You got to own that. Maybe it's because at times we act out of our own broken places of trauma. And we cause harm. We all cause harm and experience harm. And we all at a time participate in this separation from God and from one another. This separation as a result of our sin. Whether it's in our families, whether it's among our friends, or whether it's right here in this room. A sense of separation, a sense of brokenness, a need for reconciliation. So how how do we embrace this ministry of reconciliation together? I'm getting there, I promise, friends. In this season of Lent and of Easter, we're going to focus on this. How how can we take this ministry of reconciliation and, and pursue it in our lives with the people that we know and love? How can we experience that sort of um, blessing of Easter again in a new way as new creations again this year? to participate with Christ, to restore what's been separated or broken or lost. Well, the good news is that it starts with a whole lot of spiritual disciplines that feel very Lenten in nature. (laughs) Spiritual disciplines like self-examination, recognizing your own sin, realizing your own need, your deep need for God's grace. Spiritual disciplines like practicing repentance, 
and extending and accepting both forgiveness. These are all related. These are all steps along the way to experiencing reconciliation with God and, just as important maybe, reconciliation in Christ with one another. So we're calling this series Renew, and the subtitle that I've given it is Embracing Forgiveness in an Unapologetic World. (laughs) Easy peasy, right? Right. Embracing forgiveness in an unapologetic world. We could all go around right now and share about ways that we feel like the current climate or culture has a tendency to be unapologetic. These are tools that we don't learn maybe outside of this building, all that often. We had our one board meeting yesterday, and and reflecting on this passage together, one person shared, we seem to have lost the ability to agree to disagree. And not even that, but can can we disagree in love and still hold respect for one another? It seems like the climate of our current culture is like, no, if you disagree, you are just completely opposed. You are separate. You are therefore enemies. And if you don't agree, if you don't agree with me, it means you're, you are other because you are wrong and you are a flaming idiot. And therefore, (laughs) yeah, I just said that. That wasn't down there. And therefore, other, that I can condescend, that I can ridicule, that I can hate. See how fast that happens? We have an unapologetic world that doesn't know how to disagree in love. We're not taught these tools of reconciliation. They're not cultural norms. In a book that I'm uh, reading as part of the study for this, it's called On Repentance and Repair by Dania Rutenberg. She says this, uh, that there's a cultural resistance to the work of repentance and repair that's necessary for reconciliation. There's, there's just a cultural resistance to this. Admitting you're wrong? No thanks. <laughs> or I'll make a statement of apology because that will help my bottom line, but I don't really care which way or another, and it's sometimes, you, you've seen those public statements of apology. Um, they, don't, they don't have much heart, right? You're doing it because it's, you do it, and then you move on. Get over it. I apologized. That's kind of the She says there's this cultural resistance because of this sense of our rugged individualism and that we're motivated by our own self-interest and a lot of times money. If it will help me financially, then I'll do it, but if it won't, no thanks. That's kind of the cultural resistance that, that we experience. She says this, because of this, we lack a sense of collective responsibility, a communal ethos or process that might help hold victims' pain, and urge perpetrators to hold themselves accountable. Just let it go can become an adaptive strategy in a culture that doesn't have other meaningful mechanisms to offer after a rupture of relationship or care. I'm not trying to be like, the world is so bad, look at it. That's not my point in sharing this. My point is that in the water we swim in, in the air that we breathe, that is the culture when it comes to matters of reconciliation that we are not readily taught these things. And if we are called to extend the ministry of reconciliation in Christ, we better focus on it here. 
We better learn how to do this in a different way that will actually lead to true healing and true wholeness and true reconciliation. Because the truth is, unfortunately, when it comes to teachings like on forgiveness, the church has gotten it wrong. The church doesn't always do it justice. The church oversimplifies. The church can say things like, well, they didn't mean any harm. You just need to forgive and forget. Why are you still holding on to that? That sounds like a grudge. Scripture says if you don't forgive others as Christ has forgiven you, then God won't forgive you either. Scripture does say that. I added the snarky tone. (laughs) But you know that sometimes we imperfect people teaching and leading in churches, we don't get it right. And in doing so, in dismissing that pain and that harm that's caused by spiritualizing it and saying, you just need to brush it off and move right along, we cause more harm. And we don't give you the tools that we need to participate in the ministry of reconciliation in Christ. That's what we've been called to. John Paul Lederach, he's another book that I'm reading in a book called Reconcile. Uh, for, for years, he has worked in the ministry of conflict transformation and has been a part of sort of conciliation efforts in Colombia, in the Philippines, Nepal, uh, some countries in East and West Africa. I mean, like incredible just work that he has done around the world to bring enemies, people at war, political officials, religious opposites, I mean, to work on this ministry of of reconciliation. And so, of course, he's written a book. And he says, reconciliation is a journey, it's an encounter, and it's a place. It's a journey that takes time. You can't rush it. It's a journey toward and through conflict, which we nice Christian people like to avoid. Polite, nice and polite Christian people like to avoid. It's an encounter, an encounter with God, an encounter with our enemy, an encounter with the deepest darkness in our own soul, (laughs) that self-examination piece. It's a journey, it's an encounter, and it's a place. Eventually, hopefully, a, a particular place that you can mark and say, and this is where the reconciliation happened. He calls on the story of Jacob and Esau, the twins who were at birth sort of clawing at each other uh, and attempted murders and stealing birthrights later. I'm not going to get into the whole story, but they didn't speak. They were separated for years and years and years, Jacob and Esau. And when they finally are reconciled, Jacob builds an altar and he honors God and he marks the place, the place where it happened. Reconciliation is a journey, it's an encounter, and it's a place. And this journey takes risk, and it takes vulnerability, and it takes time. We can't rush it. We can't rush through it if we're going to be intentional about pursuing this ministry. So over the course of the next couple weeks, um, we're going to be drawing on some wisdom from Jewish tradition and some, uh, his name was a 12th century uh, rabbi and philosopher, uh, Moses Maimonides. Say that five times fast. 
And he, he, uh, he was a scholar of Jewish law, and he basically was trying to figure out a way that he could take the Talmud, which was this huge rabbinical sort of deliberations and commentary on the law, and like make something accessible for everyday people who were just trying to be faithful and follow the law. Like, what do I need to do and how do I need to do it? Like, he knew scholars were going to keep debating all the things, but he was trying to make something a bit more accessible for us everyday folk. And so he wrote a book, uh, and in it he's penned what he calls the five laws of repentance. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at each of these laws. This is the five laws of repentance of how this is how he sort of articulates going through this journey. Step one, naming and owning harm. Step two, starting to change. Step three, restitution and accepting consequences. Step four, apology. Step five, making different choices, the newness. Because we all have experienced that person that, for, that you know, asks for forgiveness and we forgive them, but they fail to live any differently and they just continue to cause you harm. It, you're not in a place where you can seek reconciliation with that person if they, had a, if they haven't repented, if they haven't started making new choices. So we're going to get into all that, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We're going to look at some of those scriptures uh, that we that Jesus teaches on forgiveness, and that we have a tendency to to oversimplify or to to breeze right by it and say, "Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you." That is true, that is true, but it's more it's it's deeper than that. It's a process, and Lent is a great opportunity to take this journey together, to learn some tools in a world that doesn't give us many, of how to pursue a ministry of reconciliation. Yes, with God, we're usually pretty good at that, but also with one another. I'll leave you with this last quote by another rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi. If you believe that you can damage, believe that you can fix. If you believe that you can harm, believe that you can heal. The good news, friends, in this season of darkness, repentance, tough stuff sometimes in Lent, the good news is that the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us and the work that we have been called to together. The grace that we believe in, the sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ, means that we are people who believe in change, that change is possible, that new has come, that newness is here and that we can be a part of that inbreaking kingdom of God together. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for how you call us to be a part of your work in the world. It's hard to fathom some days. But we thank you that you have brought those of us who were far off, that you have brought us near to you through the blood of Jesus at the cross. Thank you that as a part of our discipleship journey where we're called to pick up that cross daily, the work that we are taking part in is, yes, not just our own discipleship and seeking you, but that it, it's supposed to look like something. It's supposed to look like loving other people and, and becoming peacemakers and reconcilers with one another. God, these are hard things because the harm and the pain is real. And so on this, the first Sunday, God, I just ask for an extra portion of your Holy Spirit to be poured out on us. 
that you would comfort us, that you would be with us. As many of us might have those encounters with you, uh, with the, the, the deep darkness in, our, in ourselves, and sometimes maybe even encounter with someone we're at odds with, God, I pray that your spirit would just wash over us and give us peace, give us the strength that we need, give us the courage that we need, and help us to cling to the grace that is sufficient in Jesus Christ in all things so that we might participate in your ministry of reconciliation. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.